the continuation of the story from Luke. Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, do not be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord, and this is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom God favors. This is the word of the Lord. My family was one of many watching the popular medieval fantasy epic Game of Thrones on HBO these past eight years. And in the final episode this year, Tyrion asks, what unites people? Armies, gold, flags, stories. There's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Indeed, stories are the currency of television and film, politics and social media. When we meet new people, we ask, so what's your story? And at 12-step meetings, to make sense of addiction, people tell their stories. Parents ask children about their day, and we listen for stories, which give insight into how our loved ones are making their way in the world when we're not around. Whatever our age or life situation, stories are common ground. We tell our stories in order to live. A story told in the best possible way can change the way we see the world. Brian Yoon, who's the grandson of beloved longtime member of this church, Steve Minter, spoke at his grandfather's memorial service in November. Brian shared how he lived with his grandparents for a time after high school while considering the next steps in life. And he highlighted the way his grandfather told stories each night, including all the difficulties he faced as a young man. Reflecting on all he learned from his grandfather, Brian said this, when someone tells you a story, there's something you can take away and tell someone else. But there's also another thing, something untellable. You could call it the pit of the story, the indigestible part you're left with when the story is over and the storyteller has gone away, a core that you can't communicate to anyone, but you feel it take root in your head and in the foundation of your mind. Storytelling, he said, was how Grandpa communicated his love and his wisdom, not by speaking directly, but by recounting a story so we could follow his words and spark across the gap between us. The Bible is full of stories that recount for us something about God, something about humanity, some kernel of truth, some 
pit that takes root in our souls even when we don't completely understand it. These stories are one of the ways that God's Spirit communicates with our spirits and the way that God sparks the gap between us all. So tonight we gather once again to hear what has been called the greatest story in the world, the story of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, born to a peasant family in a first century land, groaning under the yoke of Roman occupation and looking for a savior. Back in July of 2017, my husband joined me toward the end of my studies in Jerusalem. One day, as I was occupied with ancient texts and rabbis, Tom was eating his way through the old city and meeting new people from all over the world. That says a lot about our relationship and our personalities. We're very different. He met so many people that day, but one in particular stuck out, stuck out in his mind. He stopped by the pools of Bethesda, where Jesus performed a miracle we're told about in Scripture, and he met a Muslim man named Murat who works as a gardener there. They struck up a conversation resulting in Murat inviting Tom to his home in Bethlehem for dinner and to see the place of Jesus' birth. Though the distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is only five and a half miles, it took them more than an hour to board a bus, pass through a West Bank checkpoint, stop to eat falafel along the way, see the traditional site of Jesus' birth, then take a taxi to this man's home. His extended family shares a simple dwelling with an orchard cut in half by the concrete wall erected 15 years ago. Tom stayed several hours eating and meeting the family before Murat called a taxi to take him back to Jerusalem, making sure the driver knew exactly where to go. Next time you come, said Murat, Bring your wife and your boys, and I will help my brother's family leave their room so you can stay there. My house is your house. This experience of hospitality we had in Israel, and particularly in Bethlehem in the West Bank, makes me wonder whether we are missing something if we look at the Christmas story only with Western eyes, assuming that the Holy Family is looking to rent a hotel room. Because hospitality in the Middle East from ancient to modern times is a sacred value. Joseph, who had family in Bethlehem, would have done his very best to find a safe place for his wife to give birth in her final days of pregnancy in the home of a family or friend. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 is often translated, there was no room for them in the inn. But Luke doesn't use the Greek word for commercial inn. Instead, he uses the word for guest room. Back in those days, the one-room homes had guest rooms attached to the end or built on the roof, and in such homes, the mangers were built into the floor of the raised terrace on which the family lives. So if the cow or the donkey was hungry in the night, it could stand and reach the feed on the floor of the upper family living space, about four feet higher than the level of the animal's. So it's likely that this home had a guest room, but it was full. And in the honored tradition of Mideast hospitality, the host provided for his guests. The child is born and placed in a depression in the floor, a manger to keep him from harm. 
the animals come back in at night, and the shepherds are given a double sign. They will find the babe wrapped an ancient village custom in that part of the world and placed in a manger. That is, he is in a simple home like their own. This Messiah comes welcoming the poor and the marginalized in the warm, intimate space where family life, animals, and chaos and all is lived out. And because Jesus was born in an ordinary, intimate space that was far from perfect, we too can welcome him into the ordinary and intimate and less than perfect spaces of our own lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, preaching in Cuba in 1930, noted that we all come with different personal feelings to the Christmas festival. One comes with pure joy as he looks forward to a day of rejoicing, of friendships renewed, and of love. Others look for a moment of peace under the Christmas tree and peace from the pressures of daily work. Others approach Christmas with great apprehension because it will be no festival of joy to them. Personal sorrow is painful, especially on this day, for those whose loneliness is deepened at Christmas time. And despite it all, Christmas comes. Whether we wish it or not, whether we are sure or not, we must hear the words once again, Christ the Savior is here. The world that Christ comes to save is our fallen and lost world and none other. As a church this Advent, we have been considering what can't wait. We've talked about risking hope and promoting peace and expressing joy and being brave and loving because God did not wait for the world to be perfect. We can't wait to unite our stories with God's bigger story. What can't wait is your part in God's story. In the story of the first Christmas, each person does the next right thing. Joseph goes to Bethlehem and finds a place to stay. Mary has her baby and wraps him safe and warm. Shepherds do their jobs and hear angels and leave fields to head to the manger. And someone unnamed makes a room for the Holy Family and provides a clean manger for the Savior of the world to be born. What is it about this story that unites us and keeps us coming back year after year? What next right thing is God calling us to do in order to take our part in the story of redeeming love? Remember, when someone tells you a story, there's something you can take away and tell someone else. But there's also another thing, something untellable. You could call it the pit of the story, the indigestible part you're left with when the story is over and the storyteller has gone a core that you can't communicate to anyone, but you feel it take root in your head and the foundation of your heart. When you leave this sanctuary tonight, God may be calling you to tell a part of the story of the first Christmas to someone who needs to hear angel song and the words, do not be afraid. But it's also possible that you will leave here with that other untellable thing, that pit of the story, and like Mary, you will hold it in your heart and ponder it and wonder what it means for you and for the rest of the world. Tonight, it is my prayer that together for this short time, we all can rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Amen.